Welcome to No Concessions, your favorite movie podcast where we talk about subgenres of movies. Well, this fits the definition of mediocre. <laughs> <laughs> this week we're reviewing 2020's Project Power. It's a movie. It's a movie. It is a movie. It is by definition a film. <laughs> Netflix is coming along really well with like collecting all the awards for their feature films this will not be one of those movies <laughs> it will not win not best sit, actor not best director right next to Roma on the uh... i don't think it'll win best visual effects <laughs> everything was competent but it was very uh, bland it was generic. not actively bad and that's it wasn't even like bad interesting in the way that bright is yeah because and it really could have been we will talk about this in the review right uh but today i'm here with charles and charles uh, CNC Music Factory. <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh, going to be 90 degrees, so we're going to make you sweat. <laughs> what a reference. What a reference. You love to hear it. Firing people. on all cylinders today. We're back. We're back. I'm glad somebody is. I'm sure as fuck not. I, I got four up. hours of sleep and I drank a bunch at work last night. So. <laughs> I was alone. I got uh, I got some seltzers and I was just like, it's going to be hot as fuck in this warehouse. <laughs> but I'm alone, so I'm going to drink. And I was just blasting. Uh, cameo and chugging hard seltzers for like 10 hours. Hell yeah. You'd love to hear it. And Charles, what you been up to? Oh man, just living this homeowner's life. I pulled a stump out of the ground yesterday and you never kind of understand how interesting and difficult that task can be until you have to live it. And let me tell you, there's a few more larger stumps in my backyard, and those will never be coming out of the ground. (laughs) Those just live here now. (laughs) I think I'll be building a fire pit around one of them and just hide it and pretend it's not there. As for the other one, maybe I'll just get like an axe or something, and whenever I'm like annoyed and just (laughs) regretting this decision to live here, go to town on it. It's my uh, emotional support stump. (laughs) (laughs) We're recording today in Charles's new home. Uh, it's very beautiful. You can't see it because this is an audio medium, but imagine a very nice home, and that's where we are. We can literally hear birds chirping out the window. And maybe you can, too. It's idyllic. There's uh, going to be background noise. You'll be fine. Thanks for joining us here. Yeah, absolutely. It's a traveling podcast now. <laughs> it is. Uh, this is the Brotherhood of the Traveling Podcast, <laughs> which is a great podcast idea. Where we just watch that movie every week and talk about it. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's like Gilmore Guys. Yeah. Or that one podcast where they watched um grown-ups that, too yes uh, it was like worst idea ever or something where they just watched grown-ups too every week for a year i'm like that's an amazing concept i wish i had thought of that did they lose a bet that's <laughs> no it was just like a bit that they committed to for a full year what was episode 52 like well they just found like other shit in the movie to talk i only listened to maybe like 10 episodes of it um but like i can't even imagine watching the same movie every week like i feel like after a month you'd be like okay this was funny when we thought of it right pick your favorite movie watch it 52 times see if you're gonna enjoy it by the end of that and now pretend you did that with grown-ups too instead (laughs) i couldn't even handle watching doctor who episodes new episodes or different episodes every week yeah we made it like nine we made it through one season it was awful that show was awful Anyway, thank you for joining us this week on No Concessions. We've got an opening segment for you. 
what what we've got mr big brain charles over here with another brilliant idea big brain idea yeah, so um, there's there's a whole area of AI just based around getting people addicted to technology. I'm sure you're all aware. Uh, one of those is Netflix with their movie recommendation. So I don't know if you're aware of the rabbit hole of insanity that they go into in terms of like ordering not just what movies they show to you like the, but the, the thumbnails and stuff too yeah the thumbnails are all custom designed by people they have working there the like carousel order of like movie genres that they have first of all they've got to classify all their movies into those weird off the wall uh mind-bending comedy horror young adult films <laughs> wow i didn't know that there was one movie with this genre never mind like 50 hey they're biting our style yeah so they find who likes those extremely specific genres uh in in the business they call them taste clusters I fun fact <laughs> i hate okay. that so much <laughs> taste clusters it's like mouthfeel but for movies yeah <laughs> i fucking hate that term they they try and classify which users fall into which types of taste clusters or movies that they would like they come up with some number of genres they want to recommend to you and they sort uh, the order in which you see them, and also sort the movies along every single row that you see, along with cycling through different thumbnails for each of those movies. And then depending on, say, what device you're using Netflix on, or what time of day you're looking at it, or what other people in the same taste cluster as you are looking at, that might change the movies you see. It's an endless rabbit hole. It's fascinating. Netflix, hire me. I got tons of ideas for you. But I decided to take some of the movies that we've watched so far and run it through my own little movie recommender to see what sort of (laughs) uh, movies the AI would think we would see. Uh, So I started with like a a compilation of around 60, 70,000 movies and uh, 25 million reviews. And that was too much. My computer couldn't handle it. Um, I could get into the technical specifics of, but let's, let's leave that for like a, a an extra when we, when we bring the Patreon back <laughs> Patreon content, episode number one, machine learning one oh one. how recommender systems work, alternating least squares. It'll just be, uh, it'll be Charlie trying to explain it to us. And then Denzel and I just getting increasingly drunk while he tries to explain it to us. <laughs> and we'll just ask the worst questions. So I had to go with a stripped-down set of movies. Nothing's newer than 2000, so I couldn't bring Alita Battle Angel into the list of movies to influence what sort of things would be recommended. I know it's an integral movie to the brand of the show, but, (laughs) you know, version 2.0, I'll work on it. So I got a bunch of movies, and I took all the review scores that um, we quoted when we did that letterboxed review for... How many stars should each of these get? And the output I got is the movie we should be watching next is Jaws, of all things. I feel like we would enjoy that. I've never seen it before. Yeah. So the second one, The Exorcist, and then Psycho, Rain Man, Platoon, Alien, Poltergeist. Platoon and uh, the one before it, what was it? Rain Man. Rain Rain Man. Man. Uh, I don't know if those fit. 
Psycho's kind of a standout too. Yeah. Anyway, they are older movies. I gotta, I gotta clean the data set a little bit more and say, you know what? We don't want anything before 1980. What's what's the oldest one that I'm looking at here? Probably the, Psycho. The, the Birds, 1963. The birds. Oh no, Psycho is 1960 though. Yeah. And the Rock, Rocky shows up on here. Carrie. I don't know why there's so much horror. Honestly, like old school horror. What? Yeah. What, why is there so much classic horror on this list? What's the uh, taste field for this? The taste radar. Oh, man. What do you think we would call this? I mean, honestly, we could make up any sort of uh, thing that we want because that's, that's really what Netflix does. Uh, Mono-protagonist, anti-hero, uh, special needs. <laughs> uh, 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 yeah, that, uh, there it is. It's just uh, <laughs> 40 H's after it. <laughs> You know, Charles, I'm thinking, how do we how do we turn this into an algorithm that actually makes taste clusters so that Denzel doesn't have to think of a subgenre every episode? That's Whoa. not a bad idea. Whoa. Like what if we let the algorithm tell us what the subgenre is? Whoa! That's brilliant. Look at this. Ideating over here. Also, the Terminator and X-Men and Young Frankenstein show up here. I feel like that's on brand. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. Those last three work, especially Young Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like it's just recommending like movies that are just generally good. Yeah, there were no obscure picks on that particular set. Yeah, give us Alfred Hitchcock's least well-received movie about like the killer tire, the one that was based <laughs> on the one that uh, Monsieur Huasso did. What was that called? Rubber? Yeah. Yeah. Do you I, know who Mis- I, Monsieur Huasso is? No, but I've seen part of Rubber. I don't think anyone's ever finished Rubber because that's an unwatchable <laughs> movie. If you need to know anything about this the very first scene is some random guy who never appears in the rest of the movie talking directly into the camera saying there's no reason any of this happens why should a tire run around killing people with telekinesis no reason that goes on for about five minutes it's like well then why did we make this movie (laughs) it's like um what was it it was uh charles dickens ended a book where like he didn't have an ending and the ending was like the last page is basically like Hey, so um, that shit's fucked. I didn't know how to write my way out of this, so I guess we're done now. Like it's straight <laughs> up the vibe of the last like paragraph of this book, and it was like you didn't have to do any of this. You didn't have to do any of this at all. Yeah. So version two point of this, I'll get with the uh, more recent movies. Because remember, my computer wasn't advanced enough to uh, handle the the giant data set that I wanted to work right. with. Because not only do you have to consider all the movies, you got to consider all the users' reviews of the movies. It's a lot of data. Yeah, yeah. It's a big matrix, and that's the most mathematical I'm going to get with this. (laughs) Oh, that's the name of the uh, next Matrix film, Big Matrix. (laughs) Big Matrix. Coming 2022. I... All right, can you uh, recap the list for us one more time? I'm sorry, I interrupted you in the middle of it. Sure. Uh, the next movies the algorithm tells us to watch, which we will refuse because man will never bow down to machine, <laughs> is Jaws, The Exorcist, Psycho, Rain Man, and Platoon, and then skipping down to the more on-brand movies, X-Men, The Terminator, and Young Frankenstein. Fair enough. I mean, we could watch Jaws for the show. I feel like that'd be a... Yeah, yeah. it'd be on point. It's summertime. 
and mean, we that, refuse to shut things down <laughs> so that people won't die. <laughs> it's prescient. The system works. The most recommended movie. That's what we're going to watch next. Touche. The, the algorithm's doing a little bit too much thinking. <laughs> it's oh my god next thing you know it's gonna take us over anyway uh wait until we get those voice fonts back from summer who said she would do them two years ago <laughs> i don't think she even listens to the show <laughs> summer if you're listening please hook us up with a voice font and we'll make an ai do an episode that would be really funny anyway uh after the jump we'll have the review of project power week's review is Project Power, directed by Henry Joost and Ariel Schulman. <laughs> uh, produced by Eric Newman and Brian Unkelis. Unkelis. Unkelis? That's the last try. Written by Matson Tomlin. Starring Jamie Foxx, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Dominique Fishback, Rodrigo Santoro. Yeah, that was a fun. Oh, no. That was a fun last name for me when I was watching the credits. <laughs> Colson Baker, Alan Maldonado, Amy Landecker, and Courtney B. Vance. Damn. Uh, music by Joseph Trapanese. Trapanese. That's got to be made up. I hope that's his, his government well, name. Yeah, because that would mean he chose to have that name. Apparently, uh, that's not his real name. <laughs> yeah, that's his real name. Trapanese. He probably he had to get into music. He never choice. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, he probably pronounces it like trapanese or some trapanese. Cinematography by Michael Simmons, edited by Jeff McAvoy, uh, distributed by Netflix. Budget of eighty five point one million, and it was released like August fourteenth, twenty twenty. This movie, uh, oh, I forgot to announce the subgenre. This week's subgenre is, uh, well, that meets the definition of mediocre. That's absolutely what this movie was. It was very middle of the road. Yeah. It wasn't good. wasn't bad. It was just kind of whatever. It was conceptually very interesting and then just like didn't. Maybe they had the budget to really deliver on its core concept. But it's like, man, a pill that gives you a random superpower for five minutes is a cool idea. I feel like they could have used the you've got a five minute time limit a little bit more. Yeah, it was pretty arbitrary. They made a big show out of Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character always starting his stopwatch and saying I've got five minutes. Yeah, we see a few people do that. But like it's never I feel like if you wanted to really take advantage of that, you set it in real time in the film where you're just like 
five minutes started and then fuck it just put a put a little timer on the side when you're like following that character well yeah you know how much time they have he left. would start his stopwatch and then it would just kind of go until the last few seconds and then he'd get shot in the head but since he's bulletproof he's fine but they never played with he runs out of time and then an even bigger threat comes up and right. now he's got to deal with that and he's not super powered anymore wasn't this a plot to one of those dc movies where somebody was just giving out random superpowers. I can't remember where I saw this. I, this is a, a concept that's been used yeah, before. I was, because comics lack originality now for for reasons. Yeah, I was I was trying to remember like because I was trying to remember the concept too. I was like, where do I know this idea from? Like the idea of you get powers for X amount of time. I mean, there was a and. There was a superior Iron Man a couple years ago where Tony got turned evil and was like, Extremis is a drug now, and you got to pay me if you want to use it. And um, But it wasn't like superpowers. It was just, you just have like a perfect body now. <laughs> there was a Static Shock episode where uh, one of the bad guys would pop this like purple cloud. Oh, right. Yeah. Nefarious. That was his name. Damn. Yeah, he had like he had like a bandolier of the the bang baby gas, and every time he it was like temporary because he like worked on it. Um, and like in X Men, the X Men comics, there's like uh, MGH has been a thing, like mutant growth hormone or whatever, whatever that shit stands for, uh, where like it's refined X gene that people use to get fucked up and get temporary superpowers. So like it's been around. And yeah, I feel like this didn't really. I think the idea that everyone is like going to get a specific power is a good is like a good wrinkle to that. Where it's like you're going to get the same power every time you take this pill, but like also that like with Newt, how he has like fire powers, but after you, but when we catch up with him, he's like got scars and shit. So it's like as soon as it runs out, he's probably still on fire for a little bit, and so it's like fucking his body up. So. That's like a cool, it's another cool idea that's just never really fully taken advantage of. Like, we see the dude with like the fucking bones that pop out of him at the end of the movie. Yeah, it's like, like, a, like a Hork Bajir from yeah. Animorphs. You fucking nerd. <laughs> <laughs> I'm upset that I also. <laughs> I also read the Hork Bajir Chronicles. I legit thought that was a Star Wars thing. Nope, Animorphs, baby. <laughs> but how, there was a whole side book about how the Andalites um, resulted in the Hork, the Hork Bajar becoming a slave race. Jeez, man. You fucking nerds. Oh, it's taking me back. The, the movie... I remember scholastic book sales at my elementary school already, just right. like it was yesterday. Charlie and I are going to have a, an Animorphs podcast. <laughs> so we're just, we reread the books There's 30-year-olds. There's enough books to uh, make a podcast All 52 of them, baby. It's one a week. Plus the, uh, plus the Chronicles books. There are four of them. And there were some choose-your-own-adventure books. Yeah. Oh, man, that Elemist book? Whatever. This is not, a, this is not the end <laughs> worst podcast yet. But it is more interesting than Project Power. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so like, there's like a bunch of interesting wrinkles, that, and none of them are delivered on. So you're just like, there's not enough superpowers, and there's also not really enough tension 
for me to like give a shit at any moment. Right. Because Jamie Foxx, his whole deal with the movie is he's trying to get his daughter back from this company who's abducted her and using her DNA or genes or whatever to manufacture these pills, which give people superpowers. But he's so good at fighting superpowered guys. There's never any danger of him. Yeah, he's like never dying. in danger at any point. I was like, well, I get that he's kind of the protagonist, despite like doing some objectively bad shit throughout the film. But it's like he's got to struggle a little bit. Jason Gordon Levitt, the same deal. Like his character never is in in, in any actual danger. Because the first time they put him in danger, he's already taken the pill and found out that he's, like, it turns out that he's bulletproof. I was like, okay, well, the only tense scene was just to set up that he can't be hurt while he's on this pill. And then it never comes up again. It's just like, we see him get shot, like, one more time. There are two more times. I was like, man, there's no tension in this movie. Even though, like, the perspective character is a 15-year-old girl. Even she's not really threatened actively at any point in a way that feels like truly suspenseful. I am really glad, though, that they didn't try and run with that trope of you are the one and the person with no skill set at all turns out to be the most powerful person in the movie. She never even takes a pill. Right. I mean, she can just like do a bunch of stuff. You're like, all right. So like rap really well. What uh, street urchin school did you go to? Right. Like I get your mom's a vet. But I have plenty of friends whose parents are vets that don't know how to I do that. I would not trust a single one of them <laughs> not at to all. stitch up a bullet wound on both sides. Yeah, just. It just exists. Like, it's just a movie. There's a plot, and you can follow it, but it just doesn't feel like anything. I didn't even take any notes. Like, I had my notes out, app out, and I was like. Nothing of note is happening. I mean, I get I, the invisible dude in the first act was like, at first, I was like, this looks really goofy. Like when he steps out of the the painting on the walls, like that looks really bad. But then as soon as they have him moving and you can like see through him, like, oh, well, that's actually a pretty cool effect. It just looked really bad when they introduced it. And then we don't really get to even like see that many superpowers. Yeah, and aren't there a limited set of superpowers as well? There's like a total of like 10 things or something. Well, they never specify an upper limit. They just say animals have all these evolutionary adaptations. And we're using their powers and giving them to humans because it's the next step in human evolution. I hate that trope so much. (laughs) It's It's always paired with corporation with absolutely no moral or ethical right. qualms I'm like this i'm tired of this say that you're doing this for the good of humanity and you've got a consistent internal logic but it happens to make you a bad guy yeah. these guys just love being bad <laughs> yeah i'm like and it's not even because at one point the uh doctor is like it's like all of these things are hidden in our genetic past. Like that's not how evolution works. <laughs> um, most of the animals that you are showing on screen developed those abilities after human humans were already done. Like we're so far diverged from these things that there's no way that the genes for those are in our genetic history. That's not how evolutionary biology works. And even if like there, even if there were things that they wanted to draw from specifically from common ancestry, it'd be stuff like 
gills or or like (laughs) that's basically it echolocation yeah or like maybe uh a tail like there's not a whole lot in human specific genetic pathway that would it result in superpowers if grafted back into a human body well, I think we're all forgetting the animal that can light itself on fire at will. That's a pretty cool animal. I love how they cover that with just like thermoregulation. It's like that's just that's just being warm blooded. That's what that means. <laughs> like humans already thermoregulate. We sweat and our hair changes position based on the temperature. Like we already have that ability. It's how we don't die if we go from a really cold place to a really hot place. It's why we don't fall asleep when the air conditioning in your car comes on. Like, it doesn't mean you can human torch or Iceman yourself. <laughs> this movie, um, I guess the acting is fine. Yeah, no one's bad in this. Even like, I typically don't like a lot of child actors. And so. I was thinking about that when I was watching this movie and I was just like, you know, over the last like 10 or so years, child actors have gotten so much better. Oh yeah. Like way better. To the point where there's shows that are entirely based around kids when you almost never see an adult stranger things, for example. Yeah. Well, I think it's because the industry has like, now that they figured out how to have children work in the industry without being like horribly exploited. Um, just like normally exploited like the rest of celebrities uh they've like it's an it's an easier entry point so a lot of child actors start earlier and so they're able and like are able to actually get reflect they're actually able to refine their acting ability earlier whereas like before we had to deal with like Haley joel osmond just staring blankly into the camera and crying sometimes or like yep that's, that's the, the take we gotta use acting is he can cry when we tell him to <laughs> And uh, so now we have like, yeah, like Stranger Things, like, uh, what's her, Miss Fishback. <laughs> it was like, comp, like she's fine. Like she's a competent uh, actor throughout this film. And like, it never feels like she's just generic, scrappy teenager. Like she has a personality and it comes through in the scenes that she's in. And uh, so, like, yeah, like everyone's performance is fine. Um, but like because the script doesn't have a whole lot to offer, no one can really like stand out in a significant way. Yeah, it's kind of like eating an entire family bag of chips, which I know we all have at one point or another. My, it's it's not bad. It yeah. tastes good in the moment, but it's, it's not really great. You're not doing yourself a service by eating it all. Yeah, it's like me and <laughs> that's that. this movie. My version of that is. The family size Stouffer's frozen lasagna. Where it's like, this isn't good and I shouldn't be doing it, but it's like not hurting me. <laughs> so it's fine. This entire thing is maybe like 1,200 calories. Yeah. And that's like half of my day's intake. So it's okay. Yeah. It's like, it's fine that this is the only thing I ate all day that doesn't have alcohol in it. So, <laughs> and that's what this movie is. Like, this is fine. Like, I wasn't mad that I spent two hours watching that movie, but I also wasn't like, can't wait to tell people about Project Power and it being better than I thought it was going to be because it wasn't. It was like, I mean, it wasn't. I've watched a handful of Netflix originals now and it wasn't one of the bad ones, but it also wasn't a good one. Yeah. It's so middle of the road. Yeah. What I feel a lot of Netflix content suffers from is padding the scripts. 
yeah. where it, it takes people maybe three times longer to get a point across because right. they're just reiterating the same thing a few different ways. This movie moved along at a good clip the whole time. So it's, it's very watchable, but there's nothing like really that good or bad about it where you say, wow, that scene is so cool. Yeah. I want to watch it on YouTube 12 times in a row and yeah, send it to all my friends. Nothing stands out in a good or bad way. And like the one point where I thought like in the last act when they're on the, when they're on the boat or like in the shipyard, I was like, all right, well this is an opportunity now because Jamie Foxx is not taking a pill and the girl is not taking a pill. So there's probably going to be a point where one or both of them takes one and their power is really cool. And they were saving their budget for this. And then Jamie Foxx takes a pill and he just like glows. (laughs) He goes super Saiyan briefly. (laughs) And like they, they even like earlier in the third act, he's like, yo, you know, we get all these powers from animals, right? What do you think the most powerful animal is? And, like, the pistol shrimp... Like, and that's a good... Like, he explains what the pistol shrimp is. And, like, it's accurate. The pistol shrimp does move so fast that it creates a shockwave that very briefly gets hotter than the surface of the sun and full-on rips through fish. Like, you, it's difficult to keep them in captivity because they'll just shatter whatever glass that they're in. They're a very cool animal. And I was like, okay, does that mean that he's going to have, like super speed or like that he can like punch real good like what is it what is he building towards and it turns out it doesn't fucking matter because <laughs> his because like they established earlier that they just did experiments directly on him and then because of that his daughter is now like like inherited some of that shit and that's what they're making the power pills from is his daughter and like that's the impetus for this whole thing. But you, as a result, you'd be like, should it be like, isn't, why isn't his thing cooler? And it's because they ran out of time probably. And they're like, <laughs> well, we got to solve this last problem. And so he's going to wave his arms and then he's going to die. And then remember that scene seven minutes ago when the daughter like kind of collapses in the lab and then that plant comes back to life. I was like, oh, that's definitely. <laughs> I could see that coming a mile. I was like, away. that's definitely going to be a thing in the next ten minutes because this movie's about to be over, and then it was. What do you know? So earlier in the show, we were talking about how this wasn't even as interesting as something like Bright, because with Bright, what they do is they take the fantasy convention and then apply it to uh, real, real life, quote unquote, real yeah. life. Or modern life, I should say. Yeah. And this movie, what this movie is missing is like taking a concept and applying it to something that's actually like something that's hardly ever seen. And I think that's part of the problem that caused that is the tech broification of media. And take offense to that phrase. <laughs> yeah, we you know machi- exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, we had a machine learning opening segment. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, basically what they're focused on is creating media that keeps people's eyes glued to the screen. Right? They're not interested in making things that are good. What they're interested in is making sure that people keep watching things. There is an interesting tie-in to that concept with like the Netflix heads and what their ultimate goal is, is they don't just want to make like a successful streaming service. They want to ultimately, the world. they want to replace TV. So you don't think of like, 
okay, there's, there's all these cable channels, you know, 20 years ago. And if you watch TV, that is like, uh, you know, shorthand for I'm going to turn on my TV set and flip between all these different cable channels hosted by these companies. Netflix wants to become the equivalent to that, where if, if you're watching TV, you don't even say Netflix anymore. Yeah, it's you just, just, I'm going to watch some movies, and everyone just kind of implicitly understands that yeah. you're going to be using Netflix. For Netflix that. is trying to be too visual media what like google is to search it yeah it, it's why all of their content is like um tonally it's all over the place because they're trying to capture every possible market they right. can yeah but what they should work on doing is making compelling media right like they're they're making things but not like necessarily like they bury them within the algorithm right like i've been sur- surfing through netflix uh pretty regularly recently and hemlock grove doesn't surface anymore mostly because they don't want people watching that now because it's not part of their new media package mm. but like that was something that was huge for them like 5 years ago right yeah it's interesting the direction that netflix has taken because it it was an immediate standout when it started. Cause so it was like, we're going to have things that you want to see all in one place and you don't need physical media for it anymore. And it was like super cool concept, uh, real easy to get into. And when they started making original stuff, it was like, well, this is kind of perfect because they've generated all this capital through just acquiring licenses. And that now that streaming is a thing and all these licenses, like all of these content creators want their, licenses back so that they can have their own competing stra- streaming services which is put us right back where we were 20 years ago with cable packages but whatever um it's like well now you're in a position because you're this huge company to one highlight people who otherwise wouldn't have a network platform and two like generate actual like interesting content that is kind of how uh, house of cards came about because i think that was their first original show it was up and it was one of them they, they had one more before that it, i think legit it was Hem- hemlock grove it, it was either hemlock grove or um there was one other one that nobody ever talks about anymore um because they released all around <laughs> house of the cards same. no no <laughs> no that one that one uh it was like was number their first three. hit for sure yeah well yeah what was interesting about it was how hemlock they, grove. they knew it was hemlock grove? they have yeah. all this data on who watches what and like how much they kind of resonate with it and so they know people like david fincher movies oh, people this cast I people watch like grove. political <laughs> intrigue <laughs> sorry <laughs> people like david fincher they like political intrigue they like first person narrative like fourth wall breaking content so they put all those together into this original show house of cards which blew up and then Mm. you know kevin spacey himself blew up but the point is they could be using all of this to continually generate stuff that people don't know they want but they definitely will like it yeah but the path they've taken instead is just churn it out baby or like buy something that no one else wants to pick up and then call it a Netflix original. Yeah. Because, like, there are a lot of TV shows when they first started doing this Netflix original, like, big push, like, three or four years ago. Like, 2015, 2016, which I guess it was five years ago now. Fuck the passage of time. Um, I agree. But, yeah, when they first, like, started that big Netflix originals push where it's like, hey, yeah, we might be losing The Office. But, but... <laughs> We got a bunch of original stuff now because you guys like Netflix as a brand. So we're doing our own stuff. But it was mostly just them like buying 
stuff that was made in the UK that no one was willing to put on streaming. Like this is Netflix original now. Like yeah, it yeah. aired on the BBC for five years. <laughs> Not a Netflix original. <laughs> Better Call Saul also has a Netflix original like opening title card now too. Yeah, like, that was originally on AMC. It was like this is like AMC is like in the corner <laughs> when you're watching it. Like what are you talking about? So they do they do what Comedy Central did for like Futurama and yeah. Family Guy, where or Adult Swim, I should say, did for Futurama and Family Guy. Well, Comedy where, Central, I think Comedy Central had Futurama f- second, like after Fox. No, so it was uh, Futurama was on Fox, got canceled, right? And then Adult Swim was running all their reruns, right? Because it hit syndication by that point, exactly. And what Netflix does is like a show like Lucifer gets canceled mm-hmm. and they'll slap the Netflix original on all the prior seasons, right. but will produce like one or two seasons. Yeah. And I think better call Saul got canceled, but um, I don't know if they're going to produce any further seasons of it, but it would make sense if they do. Yeah. Cause I feel like with that, it, um, this is how boring project power was. Now we're just talking about the concept of streaming. Um, <laughs> what, uh, what doing stuff like that, how that stuff benefits Netflix because it has an established audience, so they don't have to worry about like a, a common complaint with a lot of Netflix's original content is that even like the really good stuff tends to get two seasons and then maybe a third one, and that's it. Because their what their goal seems to be is we have a new original show, and this first season is going to draw people in, and that increases our subscription count for like three or four months because people are like, I got to get in on this. And then a second season, if the first season does really well, a second season is enough to have a second surge. Cause now it's like, Oh man, people really like this thing and they're excited for the second season. I'd better also get a subscription so I can watch the first season. And so I can, I'm ready for the second season. And then that has diminishing returns though. So like, yeah, you got three seasons and then we're done. It also helps them avoid paying their um, directors and content yeah. creators more because they can command a higher price if they've got a longer running series. Right. I actually, a friend of mine, uh, shout outs to the interview that never made it to the newsletter that stopped after two months or maybe sooner. I don't remember what release schedule that was going on, but he actually uh, worked on, is working on the latest season of Golden Girl or Golden Girls Gossip Girl. Uh, okay. They're reviving the show. And it's coming out next year, I want to say. Like an actual revival? Yeah, it's on CW. Oh. Or, no, I'm sorry. It's I was just going to say, is it a reboot. Netflix original? No, no. <laughs> oh, a reboot. Yeah, it's a reboot okay. of Gossip yeah, Girl. I know there was the... Oh, Gossip Girl. I'm thinking of Gilmore Girl. <laughs> anyway. Uh, Gilmore Girls. Sorry, don't at me. <laughs> there's, um, there's, in contracts, part of the reason why Netflix operates the way that it does, it does short seasons... Uh, X amount of episodes, like, it seems like eight 12. to twelve yeah. episodes. And what typically happens in writing when you're doing like something for TV, uh, traditional TV, that is, where basically you command X amounts of salary for 24 weeks. And as a writer, that's enough to sustain you for one year. So mm-hmm. you don't actually have to go out and find more work. Right. Let's say, um, I think he was telling me some of the minimums for writers is. Uh, it starts at like $4,000 a week. Okay. Right. And in a, because of the way that um, contracts are negotiated, you get like one full season. Right. But the way that Netflix does it is they'll break up a season part one, part two. Right. So you only get half the money 
and then you have to go find something else to work on. And then you come back for part two of the season. And because it's not technically two seasons, you don't get a pay increase between those two. Huh. You just get the money that was promised to you from part one. Right. And it helps them keep costs down because then you're not increasing the rates for any of these people. And after part two of season one, you'll likely just see people just be let go or you'll see uh, staff turnover because people don't want to work on a 12 episode season where they have no future. They'd rather go to traditional TV where you've got a 24 episode order and you're making enough money to feed yourself for the entire year. Yeah. If you can work for half the year and make six figures, why wouldn't you do that? If the the other side of it is, well, I'm going to work on, six episodes now and then maybe five months from now I work on another six episodes at the same rate like it's the reason why I call the tech tech broification of media is because what and I'm sure I said this at some point before so forgive me if you've heard this before um, what what technology and startup culture is all about is finding ways to subvert labor to mm-hmm. keep your costs low. Yeah. It's the same as like the gig economy. You fucking hire people to just run errands for you and you don't offer them benefits or anything. And that helps you keep costs low. Right. And then you scam like these fucking venture capitalists into giving you a bunch of money for basically like nothing. Yeah. Despite right? your company being in the red constantly. And then you throw a big bitch fit about it and you threaten to leave California <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely a subtweet at Lyft and Uber. <laughs> fucking crazy. Uh, yeah, and that's that's effectively what Netflix is, right? Mm-hmm. They're subverting labor by uh, licensing things that don't get any play. Like, let's say, The Office for a while. It's in syndication on TV, but a lot of people are cutting the cable. And you know what kids like to do? Nostalgia-rific things with old shit. Yeah. So they show their friends, oh my god, the first season of Office? I loved this when I was a freshman in college. So they go back and they watch that, and like they just buy up licenses for old random shit. Right. Like you just saw them do that with like Moesha and a bunch of those UPN shows. Dog, I I saw that ad, like that commercial, like the ad that they did, where it's like all the stars of these UPN shows. And I was like, oh man, I mean, get the check, but <laughs> dog, like, and a bunch of them still look really good, so I'm cool with it. But <laughs> look, I'll even if like I'm not gonna watch a bunch of those shows, I might watch through Moesha again. Um, cause I still have a huge crush on Brandy, but I'm not going to watch most of those shows. And it was, it like felt, it like felt gross <laughs> to even like see the ad. Like they don't, they're not in the business of producing good media. Right. They're in the business of making media. Yeah. Like if something happens to be good, then that's just an after effect of like what they've done. If you're, give, if you're making like the volume of stuff that Netflix is just like statistically, they're going to make a mega hit, but that means the other 95% of stuff is, you know, it, it's competently made, but it's not really good. Yeah. Yeah. Or it's like the Island, which I watched all of because it's <laughs> goddamn the Island was bad. And, but that was like one of those ones that was a full on Netflix production where Netflix was like, Hey, Kate Bosworth, Here's some money. Wait, I was thinking of that Ewan McGregor, Scarlett Johansson movie. <laughs> nope. That's, that's, that's the also island. the island, right? That's <laughs> the island. One word. I'm talking about the Netflix original, The Island. The I-land. <laughs> um, fucking, if you 
don't have anything to do and you want to get like hammered and watch something watch project power and then and then watch the <laughs> island so that you have a contra- you have the good contrast of middle of the road to absolute garbage the island is so bad and very optimistically sets itself up for a second season Jesus. Very optimistically. I mean, reality shows are super cheap to produce. Which is why Netflix is doing a bunch of those. Like, they have, like, two or three real estate shows now, like, trying to hit that HGTV market. Um, They've got their, uh, I think they've got two dating shows on right now. Did you watch Love is Blind? I watched two episodes of Love is Blind. I hate it. It's not good. And I'm watching 90 Day Fiance. So if <laughs> that's a nightmare show, 90 Day Fiance is awful, but it's like the kind of awful that I think reality television has always thrived on. It's like that uh, secondhand embarrassment is like what you get, uh, like is what you're getting out of watching the show because holy shit. Anyway, that was our review of uh, Project Power <laughs> and media i guess on netflix <laughs> as a whole <laughs> yeah i give project power maybe a six out of ten i give netflix a seven out of ten a seven out of ten is too easy oh we forgot to rate the uh the last movies we watched so when we get back we'll uh do our little ratings for this movie as well as the last movies and our no concessions picks thanks we'll see you soon Our titular segment, No Concessions, where we make a case for our favorite or least favorite movies. But first, we need to do some ratings. Okay. So, Project Power, what would we give that? I'd give it a two. Give it a two? I'm going to give it a three just because I like watching Jamie Foxx. I just like... He's a cool dude. I don't know if he's a great actor, but he's a cool dude, and I like watching him on screen. He's got that, like, screen gravitas. Yeah, and it was like... It, I did, so when I started watching it, I didn't know that Jason Gordon-Levitt was in this movie. Joseph <laughs> so, Gordon-Levitt. Joseph, whatever. Who gives a shit? <laughs> the dude from 500 Days of Summer is in this movie. <laughs> the true villain. That's he, what it'll <laughs> always be to me, is like the sad, pathetic dude from 500 Days of Summer. If you just say all white people look alike, man, I'm... <laughs> I mean, like a bunch of them do. All, all racially ambiguous people look alike. <laughs> yeah, because like, I mean, I guess he's also the kid from Third Rock, and I was like, that's an Asian kid, right? And he's not. <laughs> but... Um, I'm going to give it a three. The performances are not bad. The concept doesn't do enough. Um, but yeah, it's like, I, I like it maybe slightly more than Charlie did, but. Okay. So I'm giving it a two and a half. Okay. Uh, that, that's a good middle ground between uh, what you guys have said. I don't think the movie was good at all, uh, but it wasn't bad. Yeah. So 
and three is a very easy rating to give. What were the last movies we did? It was uh, Sucker Punch. Sucker, that's a one. <laughs> Zack Snyder's Sucker Punch. Yeah, it's a one. And then um, Romeo Must Die. That's like a three. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I I liked it more than than uh, Project Power just because it, it's different. I I like rating like unusual things higher yeah. just for the sake of taking a risk on something. It tried, which is more than I can say for Project Power. <laughs> Romeo Must Die <laughs> did try to do something different with a familiar story structure. And the performances like weren't great and the wire work is laughable so <laughs> that's that's a three for me too okay all right three 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 yep all right that's fine oh i can live with that all right so romeo must die gets a three sucker punch gets a one yep that more than it deserves <laughs> and uh project power gets a two and a half so let's go with no concessions picks this week uh how about you uh, i've got a negative one <gasps> So, uh, let me paint a picture for you. It's late. My girlfriend and I are on the couch. She's fallen asleep. And that's when I get to put on my weird movies. (laughs) And if she wakes up in the middle of a movie and says, what the fuck are you watching? Usually I know that's a pretty good sign that I've found a good movie. (laughs) Not so with this one. So, being John Malkovich made it to Netflix. And I've heard so much about this movie yeah, it has kind of a legend around it and i haven't watched it either yeah it's it's one of those like underground indie ish cult classic with a weird premise movie. yeah it is a capital c capital c cult classic yeah i don't have to explain it uh there's a door in a building and you become john malkovich for five minutes <laughs> yeah the uh i feel like with that premise i know that the story is trying to be surreal but i felt like it kept switching between realism and surrealism just for its own sake. So to contrast with like a David Lynch movie, you know, you're going to be getting something nonsensical. And so if if you don't understand the story watching it, that's okay. You did this to yourself with this. It felt like even though there were weird concepts in it, it didn't fully explore everything it could have done. And then it introduced too many strange things like, in the context of the movie, there's this guy who developed the skyscraper that this door into John Malkovich's mind is. And you eventually find that Joan Cusack's boss is this guy who developed the building who's just been hopping through time by continuously using this door to go into new bodies. But it's not really explained how he knows this. Hmm. And at one point, he's showing Cameron Diaz through this textbook he has of, look, on the subject's 44th birthday, a, you have to go into their body and you can take it over. And then a new body will start to develop that the door links to. I'm like, how did you learn this? Right. How do you have like how full much- color pictures of all this? Not to mention, and then aside from like the weird concepts that it didn't like fully justify within the, the context of the movie, none of the characters are sympathetic at all. <laughs> Like the the closest you get to that is Cameron Diaz just kind of gets beat up by everybody throughout the entire movie. So you feel sorry for her, but you don't really like root for her to get what she wants. Uh, And then uh, John Cusack's character 
is just like a really uncomfortable asshole the entire time. Yeah, so you you feel bad about everything he's doing, but you don't want to see him accomplish what he needs. Not to mention he's super creepy to the uh, other woman whose name is escaping me. But but do you remember her name? I've never seen the movie. Never, not once. The the woman with dark hair. That's, that's her name. He meets her in this job that he gets. And she is like Catherine Keener. Catherine Keener. That's a name that I've never heard before. Well, she's been in stuff. She's really standoffish to all of John Cusack's advances. Because you can tell he's into her and he's trying to impress her. And not only does she like brush him off, she brushes him off in like the most socially inappropriate ways. So she's like a terrible person too. And then John Malkovich is in the middle of this, which I really don't understand the like allure around john malkovich i feel like there's a movie of his that cemented him as like a really a really well-known name but like for a very specific reason because whenever he's cast in a movie it's like oh yeah do you hear john malkovich is in this exactly like i mean that may be a sign of our age that being john i mean being john malkovich came out in 99 so it's like he was already an established figure in film before any of us were in double digits. So I, I want to know why he was the subject of this movie because it's probably they, who they could get. They would have had to choose a name that's recognizable enough to put it into the title. Right. And the, the guy who wrote it, Charlie Kaufman, he did yeah. this, he yeah. did adaptation, which is really, really good. And then he did synecdoche, New York, which fucking sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so so the full he, spectrum of like good, real mediocre and actively bad. Yeah, so he does interesting things with like plot and how he writes it, but I want to know if he chose John Malkovich specifically because he's like not really that interesting of an actor, but this movie made him an interesting one because that's the sort of like meta self-referential stuff that this writer would pull off. Yeah. But on the other hand, if John Malkovich was a big deal and then yeah, he was put into this weird format have been yeah, so I'm I'm just kind of like I come away from this movie feeling kind of confused and let down because it's got this whole like ethos around it of oh, being John Malkovich. Wow, what what an amazing movie! I've never seen cinema quite like this before. Even as a concept, like the idea of like what would it be like to be in John Malkovich's body? It's like nobody nobody's curious about that. <laughs> like. I, I want to know what it's like being Brad Pitt. Yeah, like, what is being George Clooney like? Let's fucking get into that in 1999, yeah. George Clooney. 1999, are you fucking kidding? Give me being LL Cool J. I want to know what that's like. Fuck, dude, give me fucking be, being Forrest Whitaker. That's a more interesting story. <laughs> I want to be on the set of Ghost Dog. <laughs> being Bill Murray, insufferable in 2020. Um, at like to watch, but like maybe 1999 because he was like kind of in a hiatus in 99, he wasn't really acting. That's a different whatever. We're not here to pitch better movies than being John Malkovich. <laughs> give me, give me being Ryan Felipe, Felipe, <laughs> Felipe, Felipe. I don't know. Yeah, so there's there are better movies you can watch if you want the like surreal, strange element. But if if you've heard of being John Malkovich as being a big deal and you've seen it on Netflix because they know everything about the types of movies you want. They're serving it to you. If it's in your taste cluster, don't run, watch anything else. Watch project power. (laughs) 
Give me being Aaron Carter. Holy <laughs> shit. Being Aaron Carter in 1999, fucking fresh off the Jimmy Neutron soundtrack. <laughs> uh, yes. Yes. No, that's probably not the right timeline, but whatever. All right. My no concessions is a positive no concession. It's the first Muppet movie. I've been working my way through a very long list of movies that I've been meaning to watch or watch again if I haven't seen them in a while. And the Muppet movie is in the latter camp. I've seen the Muppet movie before, but I haven't watched it in probably like 15 years. I watched it last week, and the Muppet movie is fucking great, you guys. Like, it's very, it's very charming. Is that the road trip movie? Right. So the Muppet movie tells the story of how the Muppets met and it was produced in between season three and four of the Muppet show. And so it has, so none of the Muppet movies have any continuity between each other, which I had to verify before I started watching these movies in order. Um, But the Muppet movie is explicitly set in the context of the Muppet show becomes a thing because of the things that happen in the Muppet movie. And one of the things about the fact that it came out in fucking 1977 is that there are a lot of cultural references, not a lot of cultural references, but like it's mostly cameos that are kind of lost on someone who wasn't alive at the time. But even like barring those handful of cameos are like, I recognize that face, but not really. The, all of the comedy is very like good natured and still holds up. Like the comedy holds up in a way that a lot of comedies from the seventies and eighties don't. Uh, the Muppets are always just like if you're in, if you like the Muppets, like even kind of, you're gonna enjoy the first Muppet movie. It's very charming. The effects are really impressive. Like they open up with, or like in the first couple of scenes, you see Kermit riding a bike. Like, believably, you're watching a puppet ride a bike. And you're like, what the fuck? Like, the effects hold up even now. There's a scene, there's a part towards the end where uh, Animal becomes giant. And the compositing is even really good. Like, to see a, a puppet have to appear to be super large in the real world bursting through a building looks fucking great. I was like, what? what is happening? Why does this movie look really good and also... It's very funny, and they really lean into... It's like all the Muppet movies. I haven't seen the two most recent ones that uh, was it jo- Jason Siegel wrote. I haven't seen the Muppets or Muppets Most Wanted yet. I'm working my way towards them chronologically. But um, the Muppet movies are not like actively musicals. But they do all feature. I've watched The Muppets, The Great Muppet Caper, Muppets Take Manhattan uh, this past week. And they're all, they all have original music in them, but they're not musicals, if that makes sense. And it, the Muppet movie is just super solid. Like, it really holds up in a way that I did not expect it to, considering how heavily the Muppets lean into uh, pop culture references. I didn't expect it to be as like to hold up as well as it does. It's a genuinely really enjoyable movie and the performances are all really good. And having like, having been born in 1990, the version of the Muppets I was introduced to was Muppets Tonight, 
um, which was on ABC from like 95 to 99, I think, or maybe not even that long. I think it had two or three seasons. And I have a very distinct memory of Prince on Muppets Tonight performing Raspberry Beret. <laughs> but uh, Muppets Tonight was like the 90s reboot of The Muppet Show. And it's not available for streaming anywhere, which is super annoying. And neither is the original Muppet Show. Well, you can buy the original Muppet Show, but Muppets Tonight, you have to buy physically, which I'm going to end up doing because I really want to watch it. But the Muppets, turns out the Muppets overall, super hold up. The Muppet Show was very funny. And the Muppet movie takes that and just adds a bigger budget to it. It's a lot of fun. Watch the Muppet movie. If you've got Disney+, Plus, you can watch the Muppet movie, Muppet, The Great Muppet Caper, Muppets Take Manhattan, Muppet Treasure Island, which I'm going to argue is the best version of Treasure Island. <laughs> I'm going to watch. I've only seen two other ones. I'm going to watch all five film adaptations of Treasure Island so I can say that with more confidence. Whoa, that's a lot of work. You better read the source material. I'm going too. to. I'm also going to read the book. And, and my girlfriend listens, listens to the to audio the po- play. My girlfriend listens to the podcast now. So now that I, when I say things on the show, I have to back them up. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to have to read the book and then watch every adaptation of it. So I can defend my argument that the Muppet Treasure Island is the best version of it. Uh, Treasure Planet, the Disney movie from 2006 being a close second. That's interesting. Um, but then again, I've only seen one other version of the adaptation of the of the book that is just not based in sci-fi or puppets. So I might not have the best grasp on it, but I'm going to do the work and I'll report back after I do it. So yeah, watch the watch the Muppet movie, the original classic. It holds up and is fun and is a tight ninety. As we're doing like through this show, I'm regaining an appreciation for movies that tell their story in a reasonable amount of time like 75 to 100 minutes is my sweet spot for movies now and the Muppet movie is a tight 90 including credits listeners at home guess along my no concessions pick this week is Inception pause the episode guess if it's a positive or negative no concession what's your guess having recently watched Inception and knowing your taste in films I genuinely don't know. <laughs> oh, shit. Charlie? Oh, man. I saw it again recently. Was it because it was on Netflix? Yeah. Yeah. I saw it. I'm like, wow, this is really good. It's held up a lot, which makes me think it's going to be a negative. <gasps> you at home, scream into your radio. Let us know. We'll hear you in the past. <laughs> it, it's, in fact, a negative no concession. It's, the movie is shot really well. It's very beautiful. Uh, but the thing that tears yeah, it's it a Chris, apart... it's a Chris Nolan film. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I had this discussion with a friend of mine. Uh, he makes really well-shot, dumb movies. He's a cinematographer who we've given the reins to direct. Yeah, it, yeah. my, my uh, complaint with all his movies, not just Inception, is that he doesn't know how to write characters. No, he doesn't, and, he's, a, he's a very competent George Lucas. Yeah, all, all of his characters speak in exposition. And once you realize that, Holy you shit. can't unhear yeah. it. It's just like uh, somebody like Kevin Smith or Quentin Tarantino, where you notice the characters in all of their pieces act similarly. And once you recognize that, it kind of strips away the magic of it. Wes like, Anderson, too. Wes Anderson, the biggest yeah. one. Kevin yeah. Smith and Wes Anderson have the kind of benefit of like 
that's always been their that's always been their thing. Like from the jump, is Wes Anderson has a style. You know a Wes Anderson movie when you're seeing it, like just visually, and then also as soon as people start talking, you got like you know exactly what you're getting. Same thing with Kevin Smith, with Tarantino's. Like I feel like now, what is it? Eight films in, he's nine. kind of like nine. Hateful Eight was number eight. That's the that's the easy anchor to nine build of his, off of. Nine of his ten that he keeps saying that he's going to stick to. I uh, can't wait until his Star Trek movie where they're in the 1930s comes out <laughs> and everyone swears. Yeah, and okay, Kirk says the N word for no reason. <laughs> Turns out. Klingons are space black people, according to Quentin Tarantino, and that'll be fun to see. But yeah, like I feel like Nolan, because his stuff is so visually interesting, we haven't really pinned the whole. We have no one's really focusing on how all of his characters just explain the plot of the movie to you every time they're on screen, and any level of mystery is just because no one's saying it explicitly. And that's where the mystery comes from. Is you're so you're so caught up in everyone's just saying what they think and feel at every moment that mystery comes from. But they didn't say that. So like that's what Inception is for me. Is just like everyone this whole time has just been like, here's the role that I play in this thing. <laughs> yeah. And like bat like the Batman films that he did are exactly the same way. And everyone's like, the Dark Knight's so revolutionary. And it's like a it's a good, enjoyable movie, but it's like everyone is just telling you constantly what their role is and what they believe so explicitly that you don't actually have to do any interpretation of any of Chris Nolan's characters. And I feel like that's a thing that makes people who don't who aren't into film feel really good because everyone's telling you what they feel in a way that like theater does like theater because there's no, everything is just what you see on stage. You have to just read it as it is. Film has the additional context where you can like do stuff like voiceover, like for internal monologue or like there's room for subtext because, and this isn't to say that theater doesn't have that as well, but like with film you can do direct callbacks more easily because you have more visual access to the scenes. You can change angles. You can do close-ups. You can like, you have more access to what the audience is seeing in film so that you can directly translate things without having to say it explicitly. But Christopher Nolan doesn't do that. He just has his characters tell you what they're thinking and feeling until they don't need to so that you can have a twist later. And I feel exactly. like that's most emblematic in Inception and then Dark Knight Rises. But what that does is it makes people feel really good because they're like, I know exactly what's going on. Like, here. I understand <laughs> this character really well. It's like, yeah, you're supposed to. Every like, time they're on screen, they tell you what their motivations are. The perfect example of that is Ellen Page's character. Yes. Where she is sitting there and her whole position in the movie audience insert well she's the audience proxy but like in the most transparent way that we haven't seen since the matrix yeah and like the only the first half of the movie all she's doing is asking questions exactly (laughs) exactly it's straight up hey how does this work and it's like oh well if you just have a, a character ask how that works the audience doesn't have to ask it because the character did it's like at least neo was learning this organically Ellen Page's character in Inception straight up asks basically to camera because it's almost never to like when she's going like when she's trying to figure out stuff 
aside from like that one scene where they're at the dream coffee shop with Leonardo DiCaprio, almost every time anyone asks a question in Inception, it's to camera. <laughs> so like they don't even give, they don't even let you as the audience infer that this is happening organically between two characters. The character who's asking the question is looking at your face <laughs> when they ask it. And then it cuts to the person who's answering the question, who is also looking you, the audience member, in the eyes and like, oh, well, perspective is only what it needs to be. And then it cuts to a farther away shot where the city is fucking folding in on itself. Or like Tom Hardy is like, you have to dream bigger person who's not used to operating in dreams. And then he pulls out a bazooka and shoots it. And you're like, and that, that and it feels scene. good the first time because you don't know what to expect. So every time someone tells you a thing is about to happen and it happens, you're like, Oh fuck. That's like, Tom Hardy's whole role and that scene where they're like fighting off the gang that's like coming after them. Like you mean the, the dream the warriors. Anti, the dream antibodies. The projections who don't actually exist, so you're not actually killing anybody. You know, like but it's the brain's defense mechanism to keep you from invading their dreams. I, I feel like from like a style point of view, it would have been kind of cool if they only showed projections and like really far away wide shots so you never actually see their faces. So you can identify with them as like individuals. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, nitpicking like, a movie like that I otherwise like a lot. Blurry, like, because you know, like that dream logic where, like, some people you recognize somehow, and then other people, it just looks like you're seeing them from the corner of your eye. Yeah, like you can, you in the context of your dream, you can understand what role they play in that immediate context, but they don't actually have a familiar face. Right. And so, like, if that were a thing, or even, like, to play with that idea, every time there's, like, a close-up shot of someone that, like, you, it's clear from the camera that they're a character, like, and from the dialogue. They switch the actor up. But, like, if it's a different actor. Yeah. Because that's how dreams work. It's, like, you don't know who that person is. I've been, like, I've had dreams where, like, I'm me, and then randomly for, like, a couple minutes I'm Sam Jackson or like I'm just somebody else and like the context of the dream doesn't change but I know that I'm not myself in my body and like that's fucking dreams are just weird that way and they don't even they don't even really address actual dream logic beyond this is effectively lucid dreaming yeah I'll, I'll say that my only serious complaint with it is a part when again ellen page is like asking joseph gordon levitt questions and he's like five minutes in the real world equals an hour in dream it's like that's a, way too specific that's to very be talking specific. about dream logic there was um man I mean, we talked about animorphs earlier but there's a one of the so the secret life of alex mack was also a nickelodeon uh, live action series that dealt with like sci-fi concepts and there was a there were a handful of tie-in books and in one of these tie-in books so Alex Mack has like her like chamber that she like recharges or sleeps in and there's a point where like the younger brother of the other human protagonist in that uh, in that series like enters it for like 10 seconds uh, he just like happens to stumble into it and like pop right out. And he's like, all this stuff happened. Like it was like a dream, but like all this stuff happened. And they're like, you were only in there for like 10 seconds. And like, that's how like weird and arbitrary dream time logic is. And so like to set a, an arbitrary direct relation serves narratively so that you can be like, hey, here's the scale we're operating on. 
but is also weirdly specific for dream logic. Yeah. I just wish that they had like a more organic way of establishing that fact. Like, yes, there has to be a time component to it, but but he's, He's a multi-million dollar director, writer, creator. He he's smart enough to figure out something better than five minutes in the then real a world. One to one comparison of how the time stream works. I mean, another large problem that I have with it is how they treat Leonardo DiCaprio's wife killing herself. Yeah. And it's not like I'm like, oh, dude, mental health is a big issue. But like having this technology, you would think that they would have found a better way to solve that problem yeah. than just, oh, here's a totem. This is how you spin it. Like, no, like, it's, it reminds me so much of Total Recall when the doctor comes in and he's talking to Arnold Schwarzenegger saying, like, you've suffered a paranoid schizoid embolism <laughs> and I'm here as a proxy in your dream. If you kill me now, yes, I'll be dead, but blah, blah. Like, they could have, yeah, they could have figured out a better way to do it. And, like, I think that what's well, in service of the very shallow twist. Yes. Yeah. At the end of the movie. And like part of the problem that I have with uh, with Christopher Nolan is that he's very good at one thing. Right. But he's like kind of uh, with, with literally all the other everything. aspects. Like he's very good at movie logic. And a great example of that is in Dark Knight Rises. The tunnel. Where, yeah, the tunnel. Yeah, know, like exactly. that's a perfect example of movie logic being used effectively against the audience like not against but on the audience what do you mean the tunnel so yeah after the bank heist bane and his uh, the gotham when he attacks like when he um ambushed like attacks the gotham stock market yeah Uh, they're they're running away in motorcycles and batman is chasing after them they go into some underground tunnel and it's daytime when they go into it and then when they come out the other side it's like pitch black night but it's because batman looks fucking stupid during the day (laughs) That's I hadn't noticed that, but that sucks. Cause exactly, because it's, it's super simple, and your brain doesn't care that that transition happened because you're like the action. The action is continuous, so the action makes sense to you. But the transition from daytime to nighttime doesn't really apply because they enter the tunnel on motorcycles and they exit in motorcycles. But now Batman is there. That's the only fucking difference. But that's why it has to be nighttime because Chris Nolan's Batman doesn't work during the day. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks guys for explaining my no concessions pick. I appreciate that. (laughs) Uh, we'll, uh, it turns out we all hate inception. (laughs) Um, by request, um, I guess my next, I don't know how to work this in. So I'm just going to say once upon a time, 